0: Welcome to the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions with your friends and with your family. I'm Charlotte Pressler, and I'm the youth missioner for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego.
1: My name is, and my name is David Tremaine, and I'm the minister of formation at Good Samaritan Episcopal Church in San Diego, California.
0: Welcome back, David. I missed you last week while you were gone.
1: Thank you. I'm here. I was in Kansas City, which was very green. Yeah. And rain. Yeah. So different. I like. I look around San Diego. Like I'm looking out my window right now, and there's you know there's a lot of trees in San Diego. It feels like there's like 50 times as many trees and leaves in Kansas City as there are in San Diego. Probably because there, there are, are. <laughs> and not a <the> desert. <laughs> yeah. And they're supposed to be there.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, it's just so different. So uh, yeah, so kind of like abundant feeling. Really kind of cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really glad you got to go back there and have that time as a family. And I'm also really grateful that I had Maya um, with me last week to fill in We don't really have ministry context to offer, as it is David and I, and you know both of our ministry contexts. but we do want to visit with a place that we experienced God this week, and I'm the person who is going to offer that to the group, and it actually happened for me just yesterday morning. As you all know, I am the chaplain at Christ Church Day School, and we have now returned to having in-person chapel on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, which is a wonderful time of being in community out on the path. Here at Christ Church. And it also has afforded me the opportunity to bring back a small homily into chapel where I get to talk and engage with the children and children's ministry. When you are offering a homily to children, the best way to go about it is to ask questions and then see how the spirit is moving in that place and and then live into it with them. And when better to explore the Holy Spirit than right after Pentecost. So our conversation yesterday was about the Holy Spirit. And we spent time talking about places that were windy and experiences that we had and what it would be like if that wind was inside the building with us instead of out in nature. And then ultimately, it took us to a place of reflecting on what it feels like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there were a lot of really wonderful answers that came up in this. Of course, it felt like love and kindness and being helpful to your classmates and all of those things. But one of our junior kindergartners raised her hand. And when you call on junior kindergarten, you 100% never know what you're going to get. But I did. I called on her and she raised her hand and she said, and you cannot see this through the podcast, but I can't tell this story without a huge smile on my face. She said, it feels like being inside the world's biggest bubble. And then the bubble pops and you and the Holy Spirit just fall right out. And I said, yes, that is what it feels like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Because... It's only the way a child would describe it, but just that vision of a bubble coming up and you being inside of it and tumbling right out with the Holy Spirit is absolutely how I want it to feel when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit from now on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I think we should add that to our our long list of Holy Spirit metaphors. Right. There's the dove, there's the wind, there's the bubble, things like that.
0: Yes, and a giant bubble. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, giant bubbles. Mm-hmm. I love it.
0: It was a little Willy Wonka-esque in my mind, like as I pictured it, you know, in the chocolate factory. But right. yes.
1: You stole fizzy lifting drink. <laughs> now the ceilings have to be cleaned and sanitized. You lose. Good day, sir.
0: All right. I did not that know part. that you could actually <laughs> quote it. But yes, that part, David. <laughs> Friends, you never know what you're going to get here on the Faith to Go podcast. You never know. Yeah,
1: I love that. With a big bubble. Bubble room. Spirit mm-hmm. is like a bubble because you don't know where the bubbles are going to go. You that's, know, That's right. Because they're riding on the wind. <laughs>
0: Yes, so fizzy lifting drink and giant bubbles and holy spirit moments are definitely places that we can look for God each and every week. And as always, we have a question for you, which is where do you see and experience God in your life? And we would love for you to write in and let us know. You can email us at faith to go at edsd.org. You can contact us through the website, myfaith2go.org, or you can contact us on Instagram, again, faith to go. And David, I have to tell you, I have just told our listeners exactly where they can contact us. But as you and I know, we do have a winner to announce um, from our question about the missing verses in John. And David, do you want to announce who the winner of the All Star of All Stars answer is?
1: No surprise. I would like to say that it is our very good friend, Hannah Wilder. Uh, she emailed us the four missing verses, John 16, 1-4a, that were cut out from the reading from two weeks ago? Three Mm -hmm. weeks ago? Don't even remember. Two weeks ago? Uh, And John 16, 1-4 is, I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of this synagogue. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will, will think that by doing so they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father for me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. And that was in the middle of, that was cut out from Jesus's last, you know, words to his disciples that we had been talking about uh, for those last few weeks. So Hannah, Hannah won. Oh, she, you know, she Googled it. She found it, did it. And those verses never show up in the lectionary.
0: I wonder why though, Uh, because uh, I actually think they're helpful.
1: I know it's very interesting Sociological and cultural context, I think, to understand mm-hmm. kind of some of the dynamics going on within the Jewish community at the time. But I agree, I feel like there's so much in there to unpack and talk about. Yeah. But the lectionary committee thought otherwise.
0: I know. Who is this By lectionary way, committee? Who are they?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like 30 years ago or something. So maybe they could update it. Maybe. Anyway, Hannah Wilder wins the game. Uh, And she's very excited, I know. Uh, um, And she wants to make sure that Kathy Wilder, her wife, and Mary Lynn, my wife, also know that she won the game. Yes. So just to make that clear, Hannah won. Um, (laughs) And congratulations to Hannah. You know, I don't know what else to say. She's really going above and beyond her call.
0: She is. She (laughs) is a number one Faith to Go fan, for sure. Mm -hmm. And a consummate all-star. Yeah. And a most excellent friend and colleague. We are lucky to have her in our life in so many different ways. So thank you, Hannah, for playing the game, for emailing us and all of you. If you would like to be a faith to go All-Star, all you got to do is send us an email. We would love to share them with the other listeners when we are here on the podcast and it might even result in an invitation for you to come and chat with David and I about the gospel because the more people that talk about the gospel together, the more fun and the more learning that it is for all of us. So please email us your thoughts on where you see God and certainly on our reflection of scripture this week. So today, um, David and I are not in John. We are a little excited that we get to go back to Mark um, for this week. It is proper five, um, and the reading comes from Mark chapter three, verses 20 to 35. I am going to read the gospel, and then David will offer us some context on what we have heard before we go into our conversation about it. Mark chapter three, verses 20 to 35. The crowd came together again so that Jesus and his disciples could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mothers and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother.
1: All right. Jesus having some familial strife today. It's so nice to have a narrative, like a a story of things happening to talk about (laughs) after so much, John. So as you heard, this is in the third chapter of Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel, as we talked about before on the podcast, moves quickly. And a couple of the characteristics of Mark's gospel are the use of the word "immediately" and like mm-hmm. forty times or something. That things are just very fast-paced and happening quickly, and that there's like a, a, a deep sense of urgency uh, in the minis- in both in the ministry of Jesus and in the underlying concept of needing to tell everyone about the ministry of Jesus. So, Mark's was the first gospel written, most likely right in the you know late mid, late 50s or early 60s of the first century ce so like 30 years after jesus uh died within 30 years um and and though it is just chapter three you know like in chapter three of luke's gospel that would just be like Jesus' jesus's baptism or something but chapter three of mark's gospel he's been doing things, lots of things um but he is in the region of galilee still so when it says that jesus went to his home then he went home and the crowd came together again they're talking about his house Mm -hmm. like his home in nazareth you know um and so this whole his this whole part of his ministry is happening up around uh the sea of galilee Capernaum, nazareth um gennesaret you know all these little towns around the sea of galilee which is north which is connected by the river jordan uh, that flows down to Jerusalem, and so Jerusalem is about you know eighty or hundred miles south of this region. So Jesus is still in his hometown, you know, and that that's like an important part of the context here. It's like he's amongst the people that have known him his whole life, and that includes both his parents, but also probably the people that are gathered here with him, because uh, it's not like Nazareth was a big place. You know, it was like a tiny town, uh, and and so he's coming. We see at the at the very from the very beginning that his message and his words and his ministry are um, catching the eye of a lot of people and causing some tension. Yeah, and it won't be the last time. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where we are. Uh, and I think I have, I know I have the first point. You do because we already talked about it. <laughs> um. <laughs> And we'll have like kind of like one point in three parts, I think, actually today, because yeah. uh, we're just going to focus on this, obviously, this story, and just kind of p- pull it apart a little bit and think of some of the dynamics that we're seeing here. And so I'll start. And the thing, the thing that I want to talk that caught my eye, the thing that I'm thinking about is is kind of part the last part of that context, which is like what we see here. Jesus is kind of embodying a, a a kind of regular pattern of pushing back against the status quo and what kind of things happen uh, when we do that and it's helpful because what we find the, the place we find Jesus and the way we see him embody that is getting pushback back from two different groups that are very that create a, that can create a lot of inertia for us when we're trying to do something new. One of those is his family, his immediate family of origin, and the other one is his institution, and that those Jewish leaders uh, that come from Jerusalem. And so what Jesus is showing us here is that even at the very beginning of his ministry, uh, this his vision for the kingdom of heaven, as he names it, this radically, this radically different way of being in community with one another and with God, with ourselves even, this radical change and and kind of a, um, a radical shift from the status quo. Uh, even in this very beginning of his ministry is receiving a lot of pushback from his family members and from his institution. And his family is there, and, and both of them are essentially telling him, you're crazy. None, none of the stuff that you're saying is going to work, because none of it is the way we can't imagine it. It's such a huge paradigm shift. It's so far removed from the way we've always done things, at least for the for the institution, the way we've always done things, and for his family, the way that you've always been. Mm-hmm. That that they're both trying to pull him back to his position that he's had in those in those two groups. And this is kind of the, the like brilliance of family systems theory, actually, which is a, a, a theory that like that organizations function with the same dynamics as families do. And that was what we're seeing here. Both of these big, both of these things, this big institution of Judaism and this smaller, this smaller kind of organism of his family are both pulling on him for the same reasons. He's trying to to change too much too fast and it's causing anxiety. But what he does in the face of that is not acquiesce to their anxiety. He doesn't react with his own anxiety. What he does is continue to live into this newness of what he's trying to bring. And what he says is, he doesn't say, you're not my my family anymore and he doesn't say you're not my institution anymore what he does is make a very positive statement which is that the people that are with me that are that that hear my that hear what I'm trying to say and can get on board with this vision that's my family like those are the people that are supporting me um and so what he's saying is actually family what i need from he's being very self differentiated which is another term from family systems he's saying family this is who i am this is what I'm doing. If you, I want to be in relationship with you and the way that you do that is to support me in this ministry and institution. I want to be in relationship with you. And the way that you do that is to remain in, in in relationship with me, to be open to what I'm saying in the end, the institution in general is not able to do that, you know, but it seems clear that his mother is there with him at the end. You know, she does not abandon him. Mm -hmm. His family does not abandon him. Because his family is there throughout the whole thing. You know, Mary's there at the crucifixion. His brothers are there as like the, the leaders after he is dead Mm -hmm. in in Jerusalem, like they all can get on board. And, and they and so institutions are, but what it's not about the institution being good or bad, but the fact that institutions want to stay the same. Yeah. Organizations want to stay the same. And, and, Ultimately, like, things changed within that institution, that religious tradition of Judaism that Jesus wanted so badly to, like, call back to its roots, to call back to its core principles. Um, and that did, you know, happen in a lot of ways in the end um, at, from a lot of external circumstances. And Jesus ultimately didn't want, he, he didn't want to cut off. You know, he didn't want to leave Judaism. He didn't want to create a different right. religious tradition. You know, he, he was a Jewish person. And he wanted. He loved his community, and he loved his religious tradition. And um, he was trying. He tried to the very end to remain, and, and continues to, I yeah. think, and continue to forever remain in relationship with with that tradition, with God, and with those uh, Jewish leaders. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's a cool way of, of seeing those dynamics play out. And when we experience those, to know. You know, what we can do is not necessarily to cut off and, and pretend like those institutions don't exist or our families don't exist. Sometimes it's it's really good actually to leave those situations yeah. though for, our, for us. But to know that um, we can self-differentiate, we can be very clear about who we are and what we are called to do. And that that is actually the healthiest thing uh, for our families, for the systems. And that will allow us to speak the truth and to and to build on the vision that we have without acquiescing back to the status quo. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's interesting, David, because truly, we, it's fun to see how the ribbon is like weaving through this week because they really aren't three different points. They're they're a point or a consideration of this scripture, um, but from multiple angles. Because what I want to talk about today and what you is kind of the opposite side of what you so beautifully articulated, which was how Jesus responded, how Jesus experienced these things, what it meant to him to be in these communities, both his um, the structural community and his family community, and how he chose to respond to it. And we are invited to consider our response in those situations as well in living into how Jesus handled it. But I think we also have to identify how we... Always have an opportunity to respond both as the family unit and as the structure and system that's in place. Because we aren't always, we don't always get to identify with Jesus in these situations. Sometimes, because we are human, we are that other piece. We are living in that other piece. And so, when Jesus is here and he is telling and naming all of these hard truths, what the scribes come and say is he is out of his mind. Like he has to be infested with a demon and their reaction in this. I actually see it as really human. Um, because when someone is saying something that goes opposite to what we believe, um, Our instinct is to name it as wrong, to point out all of the flaws that are in it, to say the ways in which it's counter and wrong and evil, even in some situations, right? Like that that's human when we are pushed to grow, that we can respond by lashing out. That is one of our options in it. And that's what happens in this story. Like that's what the system does in this story is that it lashes out and names Jesus' other and says that he must be possessed by a demon. There's another way to respond though, and it's not the one they chose, but there is another way to respond. And certainly in the last several years of my life, it is something that I have had to process and grow into myself. Not that I'm perfect at it, but that I certainly continually strive and try to be open to learning and change. So that when someone tells me the thing that is hard, the next thing that I take time and pause and process, and then consider what my response is, consider how I am going to walk and to travel and to honor the person that is saying it. Imagine what this story would have looked like if instead of and, and obviously, we don't want to change Jesus's story. It is what got us to where we are today and who we are. But imagine what the story had looked like if instead of his family reacting the way they did, if instead they had paused for a moment and considered what had been said, and instead of being like, oh, Jesus, you're all spun up and and you know, naming him as other, if instead they had paused and then chose to walk forward together the way he was inviting them to. Um, Even when it's hard, even saying to the other person, hey, this is really hard for me, but I'm willing to do this work because being in relationship and hearing your truth is important to me. And so I'm willing to sit in this discomfort so that we can walk forward together. And I think that it's important for us to consider not just how we can be more like Jesus, but how when we are on the other side, when we are the family that is not receiving well what is being said to us, or when we are the system that is being pushed to change in an uncomfortable way, how we can respond in a healthy way instead of in an inflammatory way of naming things (laughs) as other and and casting doubt um, instead of taking the time to do the work and move
1: forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that gets to the last part of this discussion, and I think in the last part of, of this gospel, which is Jesus naming that that thing as the only unforgivable sin, <laughs> the only the only thing that will not get forgiveness and blocks us into eternal sin. He calls it, but um, the, that is that is that that is like the way that that is the that that thing you just described the inability to hear people's prophetic witness the inability to respond to people's truth the truth of their experience the inability of an institution to get unstuck and respond with change and transformation is the blaspheming against the holy spirit mm-hmm. because the holy spirit as as we've heard Jesus talk about it so often in John's gospel for the last month or so is the spirit of truth it is the one advocating alongside mm-hmm. the, the the persecuted and the oppressed it is it the and that and so the, the only way to blaspheme the only way to name that that which to blaspheme is to name something that is sacred as profane mm-hmm. and so to name the sacredness of someone's story and experience the sacredness of a new vision a radically inclusive and loving vision of the king of heaven or any kind of vision of newness for an institution or for a person to name that as evil, to name that as profane, that sacred thing is the only thing that locks us into eternal suffering, you know, like that an institution will continue to suffer and to cause suffering as long as it is unable to hear that witness, to respond to it, to be transformed by it, to be open to it. And I think it's to think about that as being unforgivable, that, that, that that thing that you cannot have forgiveness from that makes it feel to me like that you can't like, there isn't, there isn't an outside thing that can come in and help you release that kind of stuckness. It's like, that work has to happen on the inside you have to do that work from the inside you have to be open to it you have to kind of it requires you to kind of forgive yourself because the 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 reason that you're responding in that way is because there's something inside you or within the institution that brings up that kind of response yeah. that brings up the inability to change and it's based on fear and it's based on scarcity and it's based on the, the, the desire to retain power and the question is why for what right for what purpose you know right. for what purpose are you locking yourself into eternity of suffering right uh in order to not change and i think that's the only that's what jesus is naming here is the only thing that we cannot break be broken out of mm-hmm. you know we kind of have to break ourselves out
0: right Well, and I think that, David, as part of that, it's really important to recognize that not only are we choosing to lock ourselves up, but that comes from our desire to put the Holy Spirit in a tidy little box, right? And I think that there is a reason why so often the Holy Spirit is paired with images of fire and of wind and of doves descending. And it is the spirit of truth. And all of those things are agents of change. Um, the, yeah. the Holy Spirit is an agent of change. So if we try to put the Holy Spirit in this little tiny box and be like, this is the way the spirit is, this is the way the spirit always has been, this is the way the spirit always will be, then we are not open to what the spirit is doing. Um, And that that is when we get ourselves put in a box too, that we have to accept as part of this, that sometimes when we are hearing someone's truth, that that is our call into the next thing, our push into the next thing, because it is an agent of change. We don't want the world to stay stuck in this tiny little box forever. We want it to be a place where everyone gets to grow to their fullest ability to be recognized for their talents and gifts. Um, and that we are called to make that possible for all people.
1: And the, and the other thing about all those images of the Holy spirit is that they are quite uncontrollable. <laughs> you true. know, like in yeah. the, they, they are, they are extremely powerful and uncontrollable, uncertain and unpredictable, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's not what we want. That's not Institutions don't function well with uncertainty, unpredictability, and uncontrollability, you know? And so an institution in some ways is constantly going to be fighting against the Holy Spirit. Mm
0: -hmm. And that, David, is... 1.3 1.3 ways, um, yeah. <laughs> right? Different kind of conversation yeah. from David and I today as we really explored this narrative, both from the way that Jesus was in this story and the way he received what was being said to him and the openness that he greeted his family and the institution with inviting them to be part of his work moving forward. And then, recognizing what it looks like to be both the family and the institution unwilling to change and to name things as other, and how we might respond instead, um, an invitation to choose a different path than perhaps the human path of being stuck and then the third went right into that conversation about the Holy Spirit, the continual movement of the Holy Spirit, and our need when we have when we have done this to let ourselves out of the box to to offer the willingness to change and forgiveness of ourselves so that we can grow and move and change even when it's uncomfortable and even when it's hard. So I love that we're getting this right in this great green growing season that we have entered into. I'm sure that by the end of it, when we go back into other seasons, David, you and I will be ready for more of the structure of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany and all of that. But here we are at the beginning of this season that we are going to be pushed to grow and to consider how the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. And I think I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Ready for growth and change. Here we go. So all of that to say, please send us an email. Let us to know how this podcast resonated with you today, what you thought about our conversation, how you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your life. Um, you can email us at faith2go at edsd.org. You can contact us through the website, myfaith2go.org, or you can reach us on Instagram on faith 2 go. And until next time, we have to say goodbye, everybody.
1: Goodbye, everybody. everybody. See you next week.